Welcome to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Sammy. I'm Dwayne. I'm Jamie. <laughs> and as you can tell, we're trying something just a little bit different uh, because this week's pick is my pick. And, you know, all of our listeners, my co-hosts know I am a comic book nerd. If there's anything my, my heart goes to, my little nerdy heart goes to comic books. So when we were pitching movies, you know, we always joke about we do sequels instead of the first movie. Um, we chose to do a sophomore movie as our sequel movie. Uh, and I chose Unbreakable from 2000. Um, you know, M. Night Shyamalan. I, why do I struggle with that name? Um, Bruce Willis, Sam Jackson, even Robin Wright. So we got a lot of uh, people who went on to play action stars or superheroes themselves in this movie. So, uh, gentlemen, we get to go with this. Absolutely. I think it's great. I think it's time that we keep it 100. <laughs> It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. Now, I, I know I'd spoken before about trying to keep my keeping it 100 kind of pertinent to what we're talking about. And I didn't think I had this week. But as I found out during Sammy's intro, I really, truly did. And as I start my keeping 100, you'll see how I did that. Well... I'm going to pitch a podcast, A History of Rock Music in 500 Songs. That's the name of the podcast. This guy, Andrew Hickey, he's a British gentleman. His dulcet British tones take you from the 1920s jazz, bebop, through big band, rockabilly, hillbilly, blues, to current rock in the 90s today. Um, So it's really, really interesting. I am just passing as... Sammy's intro kind of made me think of I'm just passing the doo-wop era. So this is in that Shamalama Bing Bomb. Um, that's what his name's gonna be from now on to me. But uh it's interesting. So that's that's my tie-in with my keeping on header with this episode. Uh it's it's just so much fun to see the history and how culture has changed around the music and how the copyright laws have come into effect how you know it, it it surprised me that in the 40s 50s and even 60s you would have the same song recorded by three or four different artists on the chart at the same time um and how it, it has developed and and worked along and it's just very interesting and he takes a really nerdy and in-depth look at it and like i said he's a british gentleman his his tone is so great he just sucks you right in with it but uh, a history of rock and music in 500 songs by andrew hickey hmm. all right uh Sam, like you, next? you want me to go um go for it <laughs> okay right, here we go start my timer I am uh, doing a tie-in this week. Dwayne inspired me a couple weeks ago. So I'm doing something that's kind of, sort of, almost a little bit connected. And a new comic book series started recently. And it's the the first five issues is the origin arc, which is our, the connection Unbreakable, which is a secret stealth origin superhero movie. And it's uh, this series is called Radiant Black. Um, and it's an image series uh, written by Kyle Higgins with the art by Marcello Costa. And I probably pronounced that wrong. Um, but the, uh, what I love about it is this, well, I, I identify with the, the main guy cause he's, you know, this unpublished, you know, struggling writer who can't seem to <laughs> get anything out in the world. Um, but to, so the first issue like is, is he's sort of like, you know, we, we meet him, we see how, how much of just a loser he is, but you know, kind of like David Dunn, he's kind of a likable loser. Um, and we, and you sort of see how he gains his powers. I'll, I'll read the comicsology summary for you. It'll probably a little more articulate. Maybe some of those summaries aren't as good. But mm-hmm. it says uh, Nathan Burnett has just turned 30, and things aren't great. He's working and failing at two jobs. His credit card debt is piling up, and his only move is moving back home with his parents. But when Nathan discovers and unlocks the ethereal cosmic radiant, he's given the power to radically change his fortunes. 
There's just one problem. The powers don't belong to him. And the cosmic beings who created them want them back by any means necessary. And it's one of the, the first issues, one of the best first issues I've read in a long time. It had me hooked from the word go. So Radiant Black is my keeping at 100. Nice. Well, I, I like, the, like the sound of that. Sounds like a cool premise. Uh, two issues out so far. It's okay. Both of them good. Sweet. All right. So, gentlemen, I'm starting my clock. We had the qualifiers. We had the Royal Rumble. Now we got the title match. So, my keep it 100, Godzilla versus Kong. All right. Oh. I'm going to just admit up front, it's not a perfect movie. There are flaws. <laughs> there's people in it. So, there's flaws. All right. <laughs> <laughs> For what the title alone promises, we get it. The CG works. Kong has never looked better. Godira is awesome. Um, and even though Godzilla gets top billing, this felt much more like a Kong movie to me. Um, so it develops a lot of those concepts that have been laid in you know groundwork or like Hollow Earth and stuff like that. So it was really cool. If you are a fan of the Kaiju set, um, maybe, shall we say, a mech thrown in for good measure. Um, you may want to see uh, what I now lovingly call GVK. Uh, and that's my keeping it 100. Hmm. We have BVS. We might as well have GVK, right? So. <laughs> what we need is another sequel where Gypsy Danger shows up. <laughs> and Maku and Raleigh take on the two monsters. Yeah, well, he, he did mention a mech in there, and I saw your wheels start to turn. As uh, I think you just had new plans for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've, guys, I've never so written fanfic good. in my life, but if I ever, was ever going to write one, <laughs> there it is. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. That movie does look like a ton of fun, though. Yeah, you understand, it's not going to be a perfect movie. It does look oh. like a ton of fun. And, like and guys. It does downplay Jamie's favorite over actor. So <laughs> that, that's not a weakness. That's not that's not a flaw in their gameplay. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Well, you know, we're here to review Unbreakable. And as we were kind of talking before the show started, I, I have thoughts and feelings of this movie. And I was really so anxious and kind of nervous about opening up my Thoughts to this. I, I kind of jumped the gun and screwed up the order of the Keeping Order Hunter, Jamie. I, I apologize. I know we, we tried something different, but I was looking at my opening thoughts of grade order. Where I go first. I already um, messed it up on the on the document. So, Don't worry about it. You know, and we're trying something new. So let's just <laughs> let's just throw it all out the window. Why not, right? None of us can pronounce last names. We're okay. Well, <laughs> well you know, I do want to I do want to mention it. Well, it was a couple years ago, uh, about April first ish, that we uh, in introduced uh, Sam as a permanent host, invited him to be along. It wasn't an April Fool's joke, and it was very good. And, you know, we kind of changed the format there with Tombstone. So, it's April 1st. Let's check it up again. Why not? <laughs> you know, but anyway, as, as we go into our opening thoughts and grades, and, and I get to go first. And, you know, this movie is something different. Uh, you know, we, we had M. Night's debut with The Sixth Sense, and it kind of was such a pop culture thing. I see dead people. You know, and, and it, you know, the whole twist and conceit of the movie, as, as it panned out, you know, really kind of put a lot of people on edge. So we knew he wasn't a conventional storyteller, movie maker. We knew he had taken things from a different angle. Um... In 2000, when this movie came out, I really wasn't, I was, I loved watching movies, but I really, really wasn't an active movie watcher, I guess you could say. I wasn't one to really dissect and, and get into the, the, the in-depth minutiae of things. So I would miss a lot of points. The first time I seen this movie, I didn't realize what it was. I didn't realize it was a superhero movie, so I didn't know where to put this. I didn't know what to do with it. I had just come off the Sixth Sense, and I knew the I see dead people twist. But I didn't really fully catch, oh, 
Bruce Willis is a superhero. <laughs> Sam Jackson is the arch nemesis. And, and so I had a really hard time categorizing this movie for a couple of years, actually. It was very difficult for me. Subsequently, going back and watching this movie, uh, you know, the character development, the way the story flows is so masterfully done. The way it rolls out, and I'm going to get into that you know, a little bit later with my fans and pans, uh, is, is great. I'm just going to give this thing an A+. Now, now that I know what to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what basket to put this movie in, right? or, or at least what shelf to put the movie on, right? <laughs> right. And, that, and that was the thing. You know, your mind wants to categorize things. Your mind needs a neat place to put it. Mm-hmm. Uh, since since that era in my life, I've kind of come to areas where I like uh, there are things that I don't want to categorize, or are things I don't want to put in a neat, a neat box. But at that time, I couldn't get my head around it. This wasn't a neat box movie, you know. Mm-hmm. It didn't fit the format. It wasn't a character study. It wasn't a love story. It wasn't a scary movie. It wasn't what what the heck was it? And I didn't know what to do with it. So and that was my struggle. But you know, since since I've Found out what it was. It's it's totally A plus. It's a suspenseful family drama with superpowers. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Everybody's got that shelf, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. Incredibles, Incredibles goes on that shelf. <laughs> yeah. Two movies on that shelf. <laughs> Two movies on the shelf. <laughs> Three. There was a sequel. Remember? So <laughs> don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, because some people some people don't talk about that one. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm up next, and. Uh, I'm not gonna fake the funk. I love this movie. It's a great movie, and I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm just in the bag for. I think this is just legitimately, objectively, a great movie. Um, I love that it's a self superhero movie. Um, I think the premise is genius. I think the approach, the way he, because I mean, he, he's got a little bit of a gimmick director thing going on. Everything has to have that twist at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but the premise is genius. The setup for the twist works really well. I think, I think it's a good payoff. Um, I think it's probably my second favorite M. Night movie, but I think it's his best. Uh, Science is probably my favorite. But I think this one is the best movie Shyamalan has made. But they're both A-plus movies. Unbreakable is an A-plus. All right. I, 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 for, from the man who uh, pitched Flash Gordon and the Star Wars Holiday Special, I'm glad this one's paying off. <laughs> I think a blind squirrel found a nut. Hey, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> broken clock, man. Broken clock. All right. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, you guys mentioned a lot of the, the similar things to me with this movie, with Unbreakable. It's just one of those movies from the moment I saw it, I was just in. It resonated with me. Uh, it's For me, this is my favorite of the M. Night movies. Uh, to me, this one is so rewatchable. I mean, even though you know the twist at the end, this still works. And it works on, I guess, a comic book level, the same way you can reread stories in comics or reread books that you love. And you still love them, even though you you know what the ending is, right? Um, I think it's that that fantastic nature of the stories, the characters here, that balance of the the superhero spectacle with the groundedness that we usually don't connect with this genre. Um, you know, Dunn is an everyman. He's relatable. He works so well as the reluctant hero, you know. Um, and then you get Elijah, who is just so multi-layered. Um, and it this feels truly like an independent comic. And, and I think it works well on that level. So, gentlemen, three for three, A plus, hands down. Another uh, Ring of <laughs> Honor. Uh, was that two weeks in a row? Right. Look at that. Very nice. Got to get crowded in there soon. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, you know, this this was a really uh, intense movie. I know that they were in the stadium quite a bit. I know with the football players playing and all the fans around, I'm sure there was some real fans in the stands. Graphically Novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. 
listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not-so-classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically Novel, three brothers who like each other but love comics. All right, Sam, you're leading off first. All right. So we went A-plus, all three of us. So when it comes to fans... What I love about this, about Unbreakable, is at its core, this is a drama, right? I mean, really, at its core, the way this movie is, this is a drama that that is basically draped with superhero tropes. Um, the idea of the hero-villain dynamic. You know, I think that, you know, uh, Elijah talks about that, you know, especially at the end, his ending monologue. But But it's so true. You see that dichotomy, brains versus brawn, that singular mm-hmm. focus versus chaos, right? Mm-hmm. We see that in our heroes. And in this case, this works perfect. An invulnerable character and one who has such a physical frailty that it's painful at times. Um, David and Elijah are very much almost that Superman Lex Luthor type of dynamic, uh, and even Elijah refers to, you know, the whole thing is David's kryptonite. You know, the the water becomes David's kryptonite. So, you know, I think M. Knott's definitely, you know, kind of leaning to that Superman Lex Luthor type of vibe. Um, so, yeah, that's that's totally my fan. I just love those tropes being used. Right, I'm up next. Um, I love that this movie is about something. Um because like so many of the superhero movies that get made now are, I mean, I love Winter Soldier. That's not an in-depth character piece. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't get weepy at any point. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, it has, there's some themes there about the police state and all that kind of stuff. But like, you know, it's just a, a big fun action spy movie. Um, but this movie has layers. Um, I, I love that it has the stealth superhero movie thing going on. But I love this. It's got the theme, the big picture theme. It's the ordinary man um, learning that he can be extraordinary. But, uh, you know, there's another layer. You go down a little bit further. It's a story about a broken man who's disconnected from his family and from the world around him. And he's finding his way back to his family and to happiness. Because David is a very broken man. He's a, I mean, melancholy doesn't cover it. <laughs> How, I mean, he can, I mean, his wife is just weeping in front of him and just so emotional. All he can just go is like, nope. I mean, he's got, <laughs> he's got nothing. I mean, he's, He's completely detached emotionally from everybody around him. And we see, I mean, through the superhero tropes, but we see him reawaken to the point where he's actually smiling by the end of the movie. And we see him, before Elijah crushes him again, um, we see him actually you know, smiling and being happy. Um, and I, so I love that, that character arc and I love those themes. But the, the, the ordinary discovering extraordinary, the, the, the broken finding healing and reconnecting. I just, I love the thematic that this movie has something it's about. And it isn't just, you know, aliens, you know, the, the, the big three aliens, wizards and robots or whatever, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I, I love that. It's got more to it. Dr. Frank. Sorcerers, wizards without hats. <laughs> <laughs> we both get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know that that is uh, the thing. Is this is not your typical, you know, superhero movie. Uh, he he went a very different direction with this. Uh, in the in the in the Shamalala um style, you know, th- my fan is the character development. How you see at the beginning of the movie, how you understand the relationships through the storytelling you understand the struggling marriage the husband trying to find his place the wife who's who's kind of lost in casting about the son who who is so lost and doesn't know what to do trying to bring them both together you see as they're walking out of the hospital after the train wreck you know he puts their hands together you know wanting them to 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 join so badly and then you know very very quickly they they drift apart they fall apart and you know the development that the relationship you see you know he, she she's in the guest bedroom downstairs he's in the master bedroom upstairs with his son joseph you know kind of you know in bed with the most nights and you know he's reading the paper he moves the paper joseph's just 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 clinging to him you know just just that relationship especially father to son there is so grasping 
and you you have the the climax in the kitchen. You know, as the evidence rolls out, they're not wanting to. to they, they don't understand what to do with it. You know, like I didn't understand what to do with this movie. They don't understand what to do with what Elijah's telling them. You understand Elijah's pain, his struggle growing up. Well, the kids call me glass. I'm not going back out there. I'm not going to get hurt again. You know, and you see how all of that has shaped these people to where they are. You understand the accident, the sacrifice he made for love, that love falling apart. Then, you know, and then finding this outrageous scenario that I don't even know she understands, but he kind of clues Joseph in later. And then finding some peace. You know, uh, dang. I mean, how, how, how well can that be done? You know, how, how much better can that be done? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I mean, it's just, I mean, this, I mean, that's the heart of this movie is that, that family and what happens inside there. I mean, all, all, I like every part of this movie. There's, there's nothing that doesn't work. And I mean, for my money, it's just direction and writing wise. I mean, it's just, it's almost a perfect movie. Because there's so, so much subtle, you know, work going on here. Like, like you mentioned the scene with the way Joseph puts their hands together, and the way they let them fall apart. And like, and the, earlier in the movie when they, when he when he takes off his ring on the train, there's just really quite subtle things going on. Everything is so well done, and it's all everything is revolving around that family dynamic. It's just great. Yeah, and that's you know I know that's the the complaint with a lot of these superhero movies and movies that are so action and epic oriented. We know. The story has lost the characters. You know, you, you have this fantastical story, but you have people who don't even feel real. You know, but but uh, you know, Bruce Willis and Robin Wright Penn and the young man who plays Joseph really anchor this movie in reality. They really bring it home, and you know, in their home, you see the the relationships, the struggle, the, the, the hurt, the emotion, and it really makes you care for these people. And it really makes you give a crap that, you know, hey, he is a superhero. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, th- I think a lot, a lot of movies, superhero movies that try this, it feels packed on. Like, like, yeah. like, that, like that Russian family in Whedon's version of the Justice League. I mean, that's just, that ma- doesn't matter at all for that movie. It's just tacked on. And a lot of times they'll try to do that. They'll try to make personal stakes. They'll try to like, but it, but it feels slapped on. Like it's, you know, super glued to the side of the actual movie. Mm. And that's, that's not, you don't, I don't ever get that feeling from any of the scenes inside that family's yeah. house. Yeah. And, and it feels, it feels so, so many times it feels forced. Yeah. 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 So many times it feels forced. And that's why that, that scene was Dostoevsky. Well, I don't, I don't hate myself, so I haven't seen uh, Whedon's version of the Justice League. And I don't have uh, three and a half days to spare, so I haven't seen Snyder's version of the Justice League. But a movie I did watch this week was Unbreakable, and it was phenomenal. You know, and I know a lot of this movie does take place in the kitchen. I think Bruce Willis was washing the pan. I don't know, guys. I'm trying. Mediocre. <laughs> Mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jake. Oh, why don't you? Why don't you? Uh, why don't we witness you taking off this pan section? <laughs> okay, it's my turn to be mediocre. Um, honest to goodness, I got nothing. I I racked my. I mean, I. I, I mean, I don't. I don't like to say there are perfect movies. Everything's got. There's nothing without flaws. Um. Nothing stands out. I mean, I know they had a small budget, so the so the, the two younger actors who almost kind of sort of look like Bruce Willis and Robin Wright. I mean, I don't want to pick on that, you know. They did okay. Um, the closest I've got to an actual pan is Bruce Willis's hats are really gross. <laughs> that's that's it, man. They're pretty gnarly. Yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> Well, you know, I don't, I don't really have a lot, but um, a couple things really got me, especially at the beginning on the train scene. And, and I don't know what the deal is. I know there was the, the, the young girl watching him, you know, try to try to put his play on the lady upside down in the seat. 
you know, in front of, and and then the camera motion back and forth, you know, just was really awkward. I thought, but what really really bothered me about this movie is that <clears throat> everybody whispers. <laughs> the whole movie, everybody whispers. Nobody can really talk above a whisper, except for the lady topping. Proceed. <laughs> that's the end of the message. I was in an accident once, you know, but everybody whispers, everybody's just so, and it's really tough with the dialogue, especially, I could imagine this thing in a theater, I didn't see it, unfortunately, I didn't see it in a theater, but I could imagine this thing in a noisy theater or something, uh, mm. you know, I, I bet it was really difficult, but uh, sometimes some of these movies will suck you in and kind of take the air out of the room and make you, you know, hang on to them for the oxygen. Um, you know, but but the, the whispering really was like, okay, why can we not speak normally here? You know, I love the music. I love the color design. I love the set designs. But, you know, it's the whispering. I just didn't get it. It works for me, man. It's another thing keeping me on the edge of my seat. Like I can't, I can't miss any of this. But that's kind of a thing in in uh, M Night's movies. They tend to be quieter. They, They're quieter. People, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, no one. I mean, even you know, even even Sam Jackson, who's well known for tirades, you know, doesn't go over the top. Yeah, he's speaking no, softly through the nobody whole. Nobody does. You know, I mean, any conversation. I mean, I think the the loudest anybody got was in the kitchen dur- during the 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 scene with the gun. I mean, that's about the loudest that anybody got in the whole thing. Yeah. So, all right. So I'll finish out our pans. Um, I, the only one issue I had, you know, and and this is probably could have been solved if we had Unbreakable Two, um, is. We didn't really get an origin for David's powers. We don't know how he became what he became. We know that he drowned. We know that he was in the hospital and had pneumonia. But it never says how that developed into impenetrable skin. Did it happen in the pool? Was it something that happened at the hospital? One of those little scenes that the doctor was testing something? Then how do you get the psychic flashes coming in? That the whole psychic flashes. I'm like, hmm. All right, Dwayne's raising his hand. Yes, Dwayne, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, his his power is just like uh, Sam Jackson. You know, this was yeah. so much. Uh, he was he was born. He was kind of born that way. I, I think uh, there really wasn't anything substantial or. Uh, outrageous that caused it to happen. He didn't fall into a vat of chemicals. He wasn't bit by a radioactive, uh, you know, ladybug. He, you know, he was just born this way. You know, right. I get that. He was born with this genetic malfunction. You know, this this guy, he was just born on the opposite end of the spectrum. Right. Yeah, I Sam Jackson's Mr. Glass. He's Mr. Adamantium. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I mean, I get it. I love it. But Jackson's feels more real, so to speak, in this, in this realistic kind of setting. You know, the idea of somebody born. Because there are people. You know, I know uh, I've got a, a couple of Facebook friends. Like, one guy's actually married. His wife has to be very, very careful because the slightest thing, she can break a bone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, to me, that feels very real. It's the other side of the coin, the, 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 you know, the, the unbreakable side with David that I just yeah. questioned about the genetics. I, I guess that's what makes that such a struggle is because we don't have a, a, an analog to that in real life. Right. You know, we, we, we do have the, you know, we do have the genetic thing, you know, where bones break. And one of the interesting things I, I've seen on the prime trivia was that one of the actors in Fury Road, I think it was the guy in the uh, that was looking through the telescope and the thing, he has that condition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he said, uh, he said, you know, Rick, just go see what's bothering yeah. dad. And uh, I, th- I think it was him, uh, is, was the actor identified, but he actually has that condition. And, you know, where, uh, where they said, you know, the, the oddity in this was, you know, that Sam was kind of tall. And you know, a lot of those people don't grow so tall because their bones can't support that. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. But yeah, it, it was odd because we don't have an analog for the invincibility, you know, for the unbreakableness of uh, Bruce Willis. But we do have a real world analog for Sam's condition, you know. Right, and I just maybe would like just a little bit there. Like I said, Unbreakable Two, a sequel, may have gotten you know in, in traditional comic book stories. Sometimes we don't get the origin in the first arc. That comes well, in the in the next arc, right? I think that's the one thing you have to give him. We, we were yeah. talking about it before, like you got to give him one thing. Yeah, and I yeah. think I think that's the one thing you got to give him that Elijah's right. That his leap in logic. If I'm on this end of the spectrum, somebody's got to be on the other end. Right. And I think le- letting him be right is the one thing you have to give him. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Um, I'm sure that uh, Bruce Willis's character, David Dunn, it sounds like he was an amazing uh, high school and collegiate athlete before the accident uh, where he, you know, supposedly was wounded and couldn't play football anymore. So I'm sure he had quite a few awards on his shelf. So, guys, let's go see if we can give this movie any awards. Take a trip down memory lane to the old five and dime where Sammy, a.k.a. Comic Book Kid, takes a look at the origin of some of our favorite heroes and villains in his podcast, One Thin Dime, focusing on the golden and silver ages of comics when the cover price was just 10 cents. Check him out every week on your podcast feed of choice, One Thin Dime. Okay, and I'm sure there are quite a few awards we can give this, and I go first on Best Performance. And uh, there's quite a few strong performances in this movie, with it being such a character study piece, but I think there's really only one right answer. Sam Jackson. Sam Jackson's portrayal of, of Elijah Price, uh, the the maniacal, the unhinged from reality that Sam Jackson does so well. And unlike a lot of his other movies, he doesn't go over the top. He doesn't go, you know, pulp fiction on these guys. He doesn't go Nick Fury. He doesn't go Long Kiss Goodnight singing what he's doing, you know, before bed. He he is really anchored, and he feels so real, and I love that. And, and that's why Sam is a highly, highly great actor. I love it. All right. Well, I have to agree, you know, and, and so now this is two best performances for Sam Jackson for me, right? Despite the fact that you guys did like him in Kong Skull Island, I laid that award down, and I'm laying it down again for Elijah Price. Um, immediately, the man's with, he's like, that's my dude, right? The whole scene in limited edition where he tells the guy to get out this at the toy store. This is <laughs> art, man. You know, and, and, and as somebody that, that has been such a huge proponent of, of comics as an art form and the history of that. Come again? <laughs> so, Come again? I love that pronunciation. <laughs> yes. Um, and even that, that historical description he gives, you know, the pictorial history from the, the ancient Egyptians and, and up, it just made me so happy to see that verbalized. You know, I know he takes it a little too far in a lot of cases, and I get that. Um, but I think in some ways, even though he's the villain, there is something sympathetic about him. And just the scene where he falls, that is a painful scene. Uh, and I watched this twice this week, and I was cringing because I knew that scene was coming up. So, uh, Well, I, I disagree with you all in that there's only one right answer. I think there are three right answers. Uh, you all gave one of them. Um, I think uh, Robin Wright was amazing as, as Audrey. But I'm going to go with Bruce Willis because he's kind of playing to type but also not playing to type. Um, by this point, he's been the everyman who knows how many times. But he's always the charming, funny, likable everyman. Um, here he's melancholy, depressed, bummer, 
every man. <laughs> and I don't think we've. I mean, I mean, we've seen him as you know John McClane. We've seen him as the Hudson Hawk, and he's always that likable guy, the guy you attach to, the guy you want. You just you like him. You want good things to happen for him. We need him to come out of this okay. And here he's just. He's so sad. I um, mean, so. I mean, just detached from the every single, not just his wife, not just his kid, every single thing in reality he's detached from. And he's just he's just emotionally shut down. And that's not Bruce Willis. I mean, he is probably some of his, his movies he's made lately just because he's cashing paychecks. But, um, but at this point, we hadn't seen him do that. And here he's just reserved. He's whispering. He's barely responding. He's monosyllabic. I mean, he's not charming, funny every man here. And I, I, I don't know that I'd, knew he had this gear in him until 2000 mm-hmm. and it's just a and it but it's what the movie needed so cool i don't disagree there for sure you know because it is it is playing against type for him you know when i think of bruce willis you know my first introduction was moonlighting um and and so that ain't see, david dunn i see that no. character <laughs> you know and, and then you get you know everything else as an action star that comes after so this is a very different role. So, yeah. All right. So uh, I guess the next award is best scene. There is a right answer for this one. All right. I, I don't know if I have the right answer, but I, I got, got a couple. I got, a I couple. got the I one. Guys that, get one. I got the one that, that totally puts me on edge every time. And it connects to a couple of things for me. Um, the scene where Joseph pulls the pistol on David in the kitchen. That is the most tense scene in this movie. Um, just because of the family dynamic, the emotions in that scene, the way that David has to talk him down, you know, those types of situations. And, and the moment, I mean, you are on the edge of your seat when you hear the click of that hammer and Joseph pulls that back and you just, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, and for me, it, it connects to a story from George Reeves who played Superman in the 1950s. Uh, he had a similar situation in an appearance. Uh, he would often appear in costume and a child brought a gun and held the gun at him during this appearance and he convinced the child to put the gun down because if the bullet bounced off him, it could hit somebody else. Um, after that, he never appeared in costume again. Wow. Uh, so you know that that brought that 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 story back to me as I was looking as I was looking at that. You know, obviously David goes a very different way to talk his son down. Um, you know, but Joseph, who was uh, Spencer Clark is who plays that. And I kept wondering where I've seen him before. Uh, he was one of the Von Strucker twins in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, that was one of the runners-up. I'll jump in and give you the right answer. It's the weightlifting scene. It's, it's the secret, sneaky turning point of the whole movie. The mm-hmm. first time David has any kind of joy... <laughs> even a shred of joy in that whole movie. And it's when he finally connects with another human being because he has before that moment, before that scene, he's been completely just walled off from reality. But in that scene, he really connects with his son. And I think my favorite moment in that scene is when they finish off all the weights and he looks at his son. There's that little, both got that little glint of happiness in their faces. And he goes, what else can we put on? And it's just, he's really, he's really connected with his kid, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. and, from, and that changes the tra- trajectory of David for the rest of that movie. He's embracing, like, I think maybe Elijah's right, you know, and, and he's right. connecting and he's beginning to reconnect with people in his life. And I just, I, I love that scene. I, I had other things I wanted to say, but I, I couldn't get away from that scene. Like that, that for me is, it's the turning point of the whole movie. That's that's a very strong scene, and uh, Sammy had one of mine that I was really battling with. But the, that the, the weightlifting is a really strong scene. But I think the best scene, the absolute top of the hill scene for me in this movie, is toward the end, after Bruce Willis has his encounter with the hostages. 
and he rescues him. And he's at the breakfast table. He he brings his wife upstairs. He lays her in the bed. They're at the breakfast table. They're having. And Joseph sits down and he slides the paper over to him. And he's like, that was me. And he acknowledges to Joseph that he was right. He was right in that situation. But he approached it wrong. He was right all along about believing in his dad that he was the superhero. And the emotion and the tears. And he says, shh, you know. Just, just keep this between us. You know that is absolutely that just makes the room a bit dusty. Uh, you know when when that happens, that to just, whoo, yeah. That may come up again in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot to choose from, though. There's it's yeah. This this is a really thick movie. It's it's a it's a thick deep movie. Yeah. Jamie, you're up with best character. Okay, I'm I'm going to swerve a little bit here, and this has actually changed for me in recent um, rewatches. Um, I think Audrey really is such a powerful character here, um, and it's not just because it's Princess Buttercup, um, but you can you can tell though that, that, that life with David hasn't been easy. Uh, this guy's been shut down emotionally for a long time. Um, I don't think she just recently moved into the guest room. I think that's been a long-standing uh, situation. He's distant. He's depressed. He's closed off. And when and when he survives that train crash, and she comes to him and she decides that they're being given another chance, and she has that moment where she goes to his his door and says, "It doesn't. It doesn't. I won't change. It won't change one way or another. I, just, I need to know." And then when he tells her that he hadn't, you know, been with anybody else, and she just breaks down. Um, and and he just, but I mean, just barely responds to her. He just goes, no. I mean, that's it. That's all she gets. But and she's, you know, she opens back up to him. And the and her, her scene with Elijah in physical therapy, just the whole, the, and the whole, her whole interactions. I just, she's such a. I mean, you can tell she's depressed too. That being with David and the whole situation has not been you know, emotionally healthy situation for anybody. But she's just she's embraced the situation, you know that that they've been given a new lease on their lives, and she's embracing it. And the the date is charming. And another thing that'll come up later, I'm gonna go with uh, one of uh, a quote that she's involved in later. But I just I, I love Audrey in this movie. I love the role she plays. Well, you've almost convinced me to like. Uh hippie Robert Wright Penn in this movie. Um, she, she doesn't like football because it's too violent, uh, but she's dating a football player, you know, when, during the accident. So it's kind of weird. Uh, but I, I'm going to go game on more than the football field. Well, he must have, <laughs> I mean, to land, to land Robin Wright Penn, you must, must have some game. Um, but I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with Sam Jackson again. Uh, Elijah's character is so entertaining and so vivid and, you know, I know a year prior to this, Sam Jackson uh, had assumed the role of Mace Windu in the Star Wars movies. And he stood up to George Lucas and said, I'll do it, but you got to give me a purple lightsaber. <laughs> you know, and and the things in this movie, you know, you, you, you kind of see the purple that he has and the colors in his clothes. Even though this is a very gray, a very monotonish movie as far as colors go, it's real subdued. But he does have some flashes of color and some things. He has a glass cane, which is really neat, you know, that shatters when he falls down the steps. But, uh, you know, and, and the, the knowledge of comic books, the trying to seek his place, um, the, the maniacalness there, I, I, I really, really like that character. Hmm. He he's a good one for sure, but you know for best character, I went with David. So Bruce Willis, right? We've talked about this is such an understated role for Willis. You know there are no three point superhero landings in this. Uh, <laughs> you know you don't have that. I know that that's a trope probably of a little bit later on in superhero movies, but. This is a guy who who literally sacrificed his passion in life for love. He gave up football because that was something that she maybe didn't like so much. You know, this movie is titled Unbreakable, but we have a man and his life that is so broken at the beginning. You know, I mean, there's just something about that 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 idea, you know, that 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 dichotomy of of title and character. Um, 
and and I agree with Jamie that interaction with Joseph with the weightlifting. It is such a great scene, and it's a good character moment for David because that's when we he starts turning the corner, and I think that's why that's so 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 important. And then the poncho. You know, the whole poncho is so reminiscent of the cloak and hood. You know, you got so many classic comic book characters with that type of look. You know, I think of the Spectre or something along those lines that with that cloak and hood type of look. So, yeah. Can you imagine if Tim Sale drew that? Hmm? <laughs> That'd be a wild poncho. I've seen some, I've seen some Alex Ross art doing uh, both Elijah and David. Really? Yeah. He did, he did some later. pictures of those. Uh, my DVD set, my first set I got has uh, like postcards in there. Oh. And one of them is, is um, Alex Ross art for those characters. Uh-huh. Yep. Neat. Art. Neat. Next award is best quote, and I, I know that I know you didn't like they were whispering, but did you like anything they were saying, going. I do. Um, there's two that I'm trying to choose from here, um, but I'm going to go. Um, yeah, let me pass on this. I'm going to see if somebody else grabs one of them because there's two that I feel really strongly about that I, that I'm going to see if somebody else will grab one of. Okay. Well, do you want me to go ahead, Jamie? Sure. Okay. I think I, I think I picked the weird ones. I don't think I'm going to take Dwayne. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, I, there were a lot of really good quotes, and Elijah has some really good ones. Um, the one that I went with, the one that resonates with me the most, is really at the, towards the end, you know, at the twist moment. When Elijah looks at David and says, do you know what the scariest thing is? To not know your place in this world, to not know why you're here, that's, that's just an awful feeling. And, and I think that that resonated with me because I think, you know, a lot of times in my life I felt that way. I felt like, where do I really fit? And sometimes, you you know, growing up, you don't feel like you fit in. And, and I can kind of, I get that. Yeah, it's not bad. Not, not one of my two. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I'll, I'll see if I can get Sorry, it. Sorry, brother. <laughs> um, okay. One of the things that um, really gets me about this movie is that David feels incomplete. It's clear. Like something, he, something is missing from his life, and it's eating him alive. Um, and so I love the <laughs> it, it's, it's after he's come back from the, the hostage rescue situation. He's come home. He found Audrey on the couch. He carries her up to the bed, and he, he crawls into bed with her. And then there's a callback to earlier in the movie. And he says, I had a nightmare and, mm-hmm. and it's over now. And you can tell they're, it's about, they're, they're, they're not only calling back to that conversation, but they also, they're also calling back to the nightmare that has been the, the distance between them is over now. And that's healed. And we can just see David moving on. So that, that interaction is just beautiful. And I love it. It's, it's over now. We didn't like take it. him, did we? That's 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 a really good one. Um, no, you didn't. And I and I kind of <laughs> I made the silly way on this one, but uh, I love when you know Sam referred to the the situation in the kitchen where Joseph has the gun, and you know when they're trying to resolve that and and they're trying to figure out anything they can say to him, and David says something, and Audrey says, "We don't shoot friends, Joseph." <laughs> That's that. That was one of them. That was one of them. And and another one. I just an honorable mention. It, it's really in the very next scene when Sam Jackson is sitting in the in the comic book store, you know, mulling over the situation, and the guy starts to push him out, and he goes to call the police, and he says, and then Sam says, "How much for this one?" <laughs> that's 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 just just two moments in here that just that just grab me like and say, okay, you know, this is this is what it is, you know. I love the face the comic store guy gives him. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, see that that that's the only chink in, in my armor for Elijah as a comic book fan. He would not a good comic book fan would not run into the comic books and try to mess them up in the floor. Knock them off the shelf. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Wouldn't happen. 
<laughs> well, we, we finished up our episode standard awards, and we're going into some episode specifics. So, Jamie, I'm going to need you to explain yourself, sir. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, first of all, um, I made this doc really late at night, and I wasn't entirely conscious. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't think it was thought through or worded very carefully. Um, so the first one is best. This is a secret superhero movie thing. Um, this movie was not marketed as a superhero movie. Um, it's kind of a stealth superhero movie. Mm-hmm. And and if you didn't know, like, if you didn't start picking up on the tropes early on, I don't think you would necessarily catch on until pretty deep into the movie. And so, um, so, like, but now looking back on it, knowing that, you know, how the ending works, knowing this is kind of one of those secret, you know, sideways superhero origin movies. So the idea of this award is, is like, what, what's your favorite trope that M. Night pulled out for this? Like, what's your, what's your favorite, you know, Shyamalan, you know, play with, with the comic book stuff in this movie? And basically any direction you want to go. <laughs> okay. Awesome. So I love it. All right. So I guess for me, guys, it's just... Even though, like I said, this is a drama at its heart, this is classic comic book storytelling in its structure. This is a first arc story in any new comic book. This is issue one through five or six, no epilogues added, you know, so at least one through five, one through six type of thing. This is introducing the hero, introducing the villain, introducing the setup. You get to know the characters, David and Elijah. They almost become friends. Once again, that that Superman Lex Luthor type of of dynamic. Um, And and it feels like that up until the, the whole powers thing starts kicking in. And then, as with any good superhero story, you get that that twist at the end, that cliffhanger ending. That gets you want to continue to pick up that book for issue seven and eight and nine. What's the next arc going to be? And to me, that's really what what worked so well for me. Okay, I dig it. Um, one of the things that really made me understand that this was a superhero thing, it's kind of brought that weirdness of the superheroes in there is when when David would like merge into the crowd and start sensing the people's intentions around him uh, you know that, that kind of oh there's some supernatural there's some you know unexplainable stuff going on here um i thought that was a really neat addition to his unbreakable you know invulnerable status that that was one of my two because there's always that testing the powers thing like you know yeah. and, and shazam they do it hilariously in the spot every every He's bitten by a spider, jumps off buildings or something. Right. Uh, David goes to a bus station, holds his hands out. You know, it's just you know. Well, and he does it in the um, he does it in the um, stadium a couple times, yeah. and, and initially, mm-hmm. you know, he does it without realizing it with his first conversation with Elijah, and then later, you can almost see him start to kind of test it. With uh, you know M Knight's cameo, you know which he's notorious for in his movies, <laughs> uh, you know as as him being the stadium drug dealer, you know he's like hey, I got some issues with drugs and in, in the thing, you know, and he, and he tries it out there, but it doesn't really pan out because I, I believe the transaction has already taken place. But you know, and then when he goes into the bus station and he really opens up, and you see the flashes from from the different folks that that pass him, and then he says, oh. This guy has something, you know. I need to act upon, you know. And just when he goes and, and rescues the hostages and has his Superman moment. Mm-hmm. I, see, I think that, um, that in that scene, I think it's something that hadn't happened yet. Because I think those bathrooms that where he where he did the exchange are inside the stadium, and so he was just getting at the ticket booth to go in the stadium. So I think he hadn't even done it yet. So I think David's powers are even a little bit precognitive. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, but um, my actual award is I, I, I enjoyed the, the sort of the because you, when you do your orders you're going to have your first big fight and I enjoyed the, the way that M. Night you know did the the, 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 the rescue in the, the suburban rescue or whatever I don't, I don't know what it's called <laughs> I'm sure it's got a, a, a fan name but um, it's, it's low key in superhero terms right it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a home invasion and it's one guy without powers and David doesn't even rescue everybody. Not everybody survives. And 
um, he gets dumped in the pool and has to be rescued by the, the kid he's supposed to be rescuing. And so it's, it is still that first superhero fight, which the superheroes do tend to lose. But um, I, I just, I, I like M. Knight's take on it. And so you got to have the first big fight. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's kind of funny. You talked about being low key. You know, one of the first fights Superman gets into in Action Comics number one is with a man who's beating his wife. And he hears it in the apartment next door or something and, and goes over basically and like beats the guy up. You know, it's like, you know, you want to fight somebody, fight me kind of deal, you know. So it's that low key type of idea. So very golden age feel. I guess I'll explain the last award as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> once again, way past my bedtime when I made these. <laughs> um so this one is best weird choice from M. Night. Um, so I think that not only is this his, his, his best movie, I think he's some of his most interesting choices get made here. And so that was just, you know, the, that was sort of my angle. I think there's some, some interesting like script decisions that were made that aren't sort of typical M. Night things. And I think there's some, even some camera stuff. Because he's got things that are, that are typical M. Night things that he does. And there's still a few moments that are, seem like strange. Like, I think, like he's trying things out. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm first on that, and I don't know why, but it hit me for the, for the first time when I watched this movie. It struck me as weird, script-wise, and for, for story structure-wise, that he had Audrey meet Elijah. That just seemed like you would, you would want to keep those parts of David's life completely separate. Like, it would be like a, an extra complication. Because then, like, you mean, before she's only hearing things secondhand from David and Joseph, and she just knows he's this crazy guy, and he's scary, and he's threatening her family. But once she knows him, that changes the dynamic of that, all those relationships. So I just thought that was an interesting little wrinkle that he didn't have to do that really could have ganked up the whole you know, dynamic for a lot of those characters' relationships. And he did it. He made it work, but I'm like, that's a, kind of a risky move story-wise. And so I, I thought it was a weird choice. Okay. Um, I guess I didn't think about it in terms of like a, like story points or something like that. I just thought it was weird that water was his kryptonite, <laughs> you know, I mean, sure. He could drown. I mean, can he drink a bottle of water? You know I mean? <laughs> drink it too fast. <laughs> yeah. Drink it too, I, mean, it's, it, I just, you know, and it's one of those things. I mean, you, you've got strange things in comic books like that. I mean, Green Lantern couldn't battle anything with yellow uh, in the Silver the Age. <laughs> in the Golden Age, Green Lantern couldn't battle anything that was wooden. Uh, like I said, nope, nope, you've, wrong, got, that's worse. you've got these really weird things that go on, right? Um, I mean, a piece of rock from your home planet will kill you. You know, that kind of deal. Uh, but then I just I just thought the whole water is your kryptonite was a strange choice. So. My, my favorite one is the Martian Manhunter's like, his weakness is fire. I'm like, everybody's uh, weakness is fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that tends to be a lot of DC characters, doesn't it? Marvel doesn't have characters that have those types of weaknesses. <laughs> Yeah, I, no. I do get the vibe that M. not read more DC than Marvel. Yeah, yep, me too. Well, I went really, I, th I thought this was really obvious um, choice, but apparently it wasn't. But the weird choice I thought he made with this movie was making a superhero movie be such a slow burn. Mm. Just just making it so slow and, and intensely character-driven instead of getting the, you know, the the origins and actions you know that we have a lot of times um and i think that really is a credit to this movie uh being what it is and i think that's the thing that really makes it great is it's just such a slow you know it it makes you you have to care about these characters to spend these two hours with them you know and and as it goes it grows it really does. So I think I think that's the weird you know choice that he made is let's make a superhero. I can hear the pitch. I got a superhero movie. 
but man, it's a slow burn. You know, it's it's one of these just it's a slow it's 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 a candle, man. It's not a firecracker. It's a candle. You know, <laughs> and no spandex inside. No spandex inside. You know, you know the guys nope. the guys got a Rambo poncho. You know, <laughs> but but you're right. I, I don't think I'd really noticed before I put my reviewer hat for the podcast on and watch this movie really truly how slow this movie is mm-hmm. um it's 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 so in, engrossing that you don't notice it when you're just enjoying the movie when you're when you're about to review review this thing like we do here i mean when you're evaluating that kind of thing it's a slow movie i mean it's so tense that it it doesn't like it's not it never gets boring i mean this thing passed the phone test with flying colors but it is yeah. a really slow movie so yeah that is a weird choice that's probably yeah. the right answer yeah yeah <laughs> well, i agree well, Good to be like Sammy's broken clock there. So, I'm at least right twice a day. Um, hey, I got I got one more in me because twice, right? I've got. We'll see. Well, you know, they're they're this movie's about unbreakable. It's about characters. It's about relationships. It's about you know superheroes. There is a super guy who I found out in John Wick. He's pretty much unbreakable, even though he takes a heck of a beating in that movie. He comes back like a Timex watch, and he just keeps on keeping on. But our Keanu Reeves has always been super to us. Ever since he took off flying in the Matrix, saved his high school career and the world in Bill and Ted, our Keanu has been our hero. So how does he connect to this superhero movie, Unbreakable? Uh, number one, barely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, M. Knight does a couple of things, especially in this phase in his career, that made me terrified of the Keanu connection this week. Uh, number one, um, it works with very small casts. Um, if you really think about it, it's only a handful of people who even have speaking parts in this movie. Um, he works with basically an indie-sized film crew. Most of the departments in this movie have a person in them. Um, so this, but once I found the connection, this week's Keanu connection actually fascinated me. I'll save the name for the end, but it was the art director for Unbreakable. Um, not just the art director, he is the art department. <laughs> it's one guy. Um, but what fascinated me was the variety of movies he's been the art director for. Um, Movies that have just very different looks and feels. But he was always there kind of making it work. And he's worked on comedies like Bridesmaid and Balls of Fury. Uh, yeah, the guy that did the art direction for Unbreakable worked on Bridesmaids and Balls of Fury. Wow. Uh, he's done <laughs> Family Affair. Range. Yeah. Well, this Family Affair, like Not at the Museum. Uh, one of the remakes of Miracle on the 34th Street. <laughs> Action movies like Face Off. The guy that did Unbreakable did face off. Uh, he also worked on the first Raimi Spider-Man, so he's done more superhero mm. stuff. Even really dark suspense, like the, the girl with the dragon tattoo. That was mm. He art directed that as well. Um, but long before Steve Arnold was the entire art department for Unbreakable, he was the uncredited art director, maybe by choice, for a small movie named The Prince of Pennsylvania. This gym was released in 1988, and I'm just going to read the IMDb summary for you. A teenager in love who needs money to arrange his future life with his mistress kidnaps his own father for ransom, but nobody cares. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That teenager was our beloved Keanu. Steve Arnold and a very young uh, Keanu... And the Prince of Pennsylvania is this week's Keanu Connection. <gasps> well, well, I guess nobody cared about that movie, but I'm glad Keanu <laughs> continued on to become our hero. Um, that's that's wonderful as a Keanu Connection there. Uh, Steve Arnold, art department. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, guys. Well, I really hope uh, that you guys have enjoyed our review of Unbreakable. As much as we enjoyed watching it and talking about it here, I had uh, a ton of fun examining this slow burn of a deep movie uh, with you guys. And uh, and it really even opened up more to me um, with this movie. But uh, coming up next, we've got another 
deep movie, I believe. And I'm really proud this is my pick. And I know I've tried to pitch it a couple times, and even once it was on the schedule, I tried to pitch it again. I was so excited. (laughs) (laughs) I remember we we had had this part of the schedule done, and then we'd done our draft recently for the rest of the year. And I was like, yeah, and you're like, it's already on the schedule, doofus. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, Denis Villeneuve, the director of Dune, um, had uh, got a hold of Lois Lane and Hawkeye to – interpret uh, kind of a 3D language from some alien squids in the movie Arrival. Guys, I love this movie so much, and I can't wait to hear your all's take on it and uh, to have uh, our fans uh, interact with us on this. But uh, Arrival by Denis Villeneuve. Now, unfortunately, it was available on Prime, I think, when I pitched it, but right now it's a $2.99 rental or a $13.99 purchase. But Jamie had a really great recommendation. And Jamie, what was that recommendation? Everybody should own this and put it on their shelf. <laughs> yeah. Spoilers yeah, I, for my grade, but you need to own this. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree completely. This, this is a movie that needs to be on your shelf. It's it's a, it's a sci-fi movie. It's kind of a slow burn, but it is really a, a, a great movie. And yeah, I'm not going to gush any more about it. But while we dust off our copies or rent them or purchase them virtually, Jamie, what are we going to do? We're going to make sure we're leaving time in the right order as we keep it nerdy. <laughs>